Okay, I'm recording. We all give us a blast there. Hello, Luke. How are you doing, mate? You Thank all right? Cute, Rory. All right, Luke. How are you doing, <laughs> mate? You all right? Thanks, Governor. <laughs> Kieran. All right, Luke. <laughs> how you doing, mate? <laughs> <laughs> oh, here, come on. <laughs> That's better than your Scouse accent, surely. That's up for debate, Rory. Oh. Right, that's the sound check done. Away we go. Lovely, lovely. Take us in there, Karen. Go on. We are entering the world of business on today's show, folks. And to, to start the show, I have a business proposal for Luke and Rory. You are welcome, lads. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. So here is the deal. Michal is back with us this week and he's given me 10 euro and has told me to share it, some, all or none, with one of you. If you accept my offer... We both keep the money. If you reject it, none of us comes away with anything. Oh, right. Okay. So, Rory, first. Are you clear with the terms of this deal? Uh, Kind of, yes. Okay. Here is my offer. I'm going to split the 10 euro Michal has given to me. Six for you, four for me. Mm -hmm. Under Under what terms? The terms I already mentioned. No, as in like, why do you feel you deserve 60% and I deserve 40 that's not an issue. Well, this is not started off well. You just have to decide on your on your answer. I'm offering you six euro. Uh, I'm keeping four of the ten oh, euro. I get sixty percent. Yeah, you're getting the good oh, deal. Oh, sorry. Here. Jesus, Kieran, thanks very much. Absolutely. You accept the deal. I accept your offer. Okay, interesting, interesting. Luke, your turn. Hmm. Uh, I am proposing that I give you two euro of the ten Mihal gave me, and I will keep eight. What do you reckon? Uh, uh, hold on a minute now. <laughs> Why am I getting a different deal to Rory? Well, it's just it, it's just a, a it's a standalone deal. It's, and hold it, on a minute now. Mihal's giving you a tenner. Yeah. You're offering Rory six euro, and you're taking four euro. How are you offering me then two euro? That's twelve euro. He's only giving you a second tenner. <laughs> this is a separate deal. Separate deal. Rory, the deal with Rory has is is not has not existed. So Mihal gave you two tenners. He gave me a tenor. <laughs> uh, the tenor with Rory uh, did not happen for the purposes of this conversation. Oh, this is totally separate. Totally oh, so separate. Rory's tenor's off the books. Yes. You, dodgy, I'm offering you two euro. I'm keeping eight for myself. Grand. I'll take two euro. I'll buy a bounty. <laughs> I quite like that answer too, because, I mean, you didn't do anything for the two euro. No, I mean, there was ten euro given to Kieran. Yeah. He's just offered you two quid. Yeah. Just sure take the two quid. You didn't sure, do it. Take you're, it. You're I mean, if I walked off. along and found two euro on the ground, I'm not going to say, uh, I'm not going to take that. I wish it was a tenner. Because it's not a tenner. <laughs> I'll just pick up the two euro. Yeah, correct. And go yeah. and buy a packet of potatoes. Come on, Luke. Luke, I tell you, you're so wise. Yeah. The vast majority of people in that situation would would slap it in my face and say, I'm not taking your two euro. <laughs> Even though they're getting two for a free two euro. For nothing. Then. Yeah. yeah. Very good. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's the idea of fairness and... You know, it overrides our economic principles sometimes if we think something is well, not fair. Well, it's still absolutely not fair that you're getting eight euro more than, and I'm getting two, but I'd still contact two euro. So, like so, so just just in a different situation, Luke, right? We had Keen Egan on the show last week and great interview with Keen, huge reaction to it. So Keen uh, comes to you, Luke, and says, look, Westlife are on the road next year. We're doing a massive tour, 100 dates around the world, offering you a million quid to go out and tour and be the chief sound engineer for the year, right? But... Then you hear, I have been offered the gig as their piano player and my fee is two million. 
And then you hear that Rory has been offered the gig as their chief content creator for the year and has been offered four million. I thought you were going to say he'd been offered the gig as their chief barber and keep them trimmed on tour. <laughs> that would be more. That would be five or six million, I think. Honest Rory, would God, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honest God. Does the same thing come into play? Is it like, okay, I've got my, I, I've, I'm getting a million quid for this gig, even though I had nothing yesterday? Or is it like, he's getting two and he's getting four? How come I'm only getting one? To be honest, if someone's giving me a million quid, I don't give a shite what anyone else is getting because I'm still getting a million quid. It's such an interesting principle. Like, of course, take the million quid. But at the same time, when you hear you get your million quid, you'll go, oh, my God, a million quid. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll work for however long I need. But then other factors then change your opinion about that, even though the truth being... You've just been given a million quid and the other factors shouldn't matter. How interesting, Karen. Now, lads. Well, look, it was complex business deals like these that brought today's guest huge success in his career. A businessman from the world of music and ticketing. Tommy Higgins coming up today, folks, shortly. But first, let's hear what Hall has been up to this week. Talking to your average Joes A random question he will pose What he'll ask one never knows What's your favourite movie? Savoury or fruity? Do you like a sushi? <laughs> it's me whole on the My lads, what's the crack? Streets My all-time favourite Irish film is The Commitments. I just think it's an absolutely amazing representation of Irish culture and music and Irish society at that time and has aged so well. The language used in it is brilliant and yeah, it's truly relatable as an Irish person. My favourite Irish film has to be Brooklyn because it just shows immigration on both sides and it just makes you weep. Like when it's Saoirse Ronan on the boat in the green coat with her mammy crying and waving her off and then Irla Leonard singing Shanos in the hall in New York. It just makes you weep. It just really plucks at the heartstrings. My favourite Irish movie is Calm With Horses on Netflix. My favourite Irish movie is Mickey Bo and Me as it deals with the time of the Troubles in Ireland in a real innocent way from the perspective of a child. My all-time favourite Irish film has got to be Michael Collins, which I know is on brand, but it just has got everything. It's got love, it's got politics, it's got war, it's got tragedy. And truth be told, the scene where Alan Rickman escapes from prison as a woman is enough. Best Irish movie, hands down, has to be The Snapper. Georgie Borges and all the lads having a mad one. Absolutely love it. It's me all on the streets. Georgie Borges and all the lads having a mad one. What the funky music underneath really made that for me, Michal. Do you like it? Very fancy. Yeah, very fancy with the box. That was a once off. Don't be expecting that next week. I expect it every week. Okay. Best Irish movie of all time. We have to start with Rory. No, we have to start with you. We have to start with you. I didn't want to go first because, okay, I didn't hear that question beforehand, but as soon as I heard Irish movie, I was like, the question I had to ask myself in my head was, how deep do I want to go with this? Is this a fun, you know, we're having fun. Let's just all mention our our favourite Irish films because the truth is, I don't have one. And, and now. At, no, Come but, off but it for a I, minute. I, I, I did not do these box pops to get that answer off Rory Maitland, <laughs> the cinematographer. I, but I can explain why. Okay. Irish cinema drives me bananas. Why? Because we have some of the most talented filmmakers, some of the most talented actors, some of the most talented HODs, heads of departments, some of the most talented writers. I mean, look at Adam and Paul and The Garage. 
right? So you had, I think, the writer of that guy called Marco Halloran. He's actually the tall guy that's in Adam and Paul. Incredible actor, incredible writer. You have Pat Short, who in the garage, who's known for his comedy, and but yet dramatically, he's one of the most underrated actors in the world. I would say he's incredible when it comes to drama. What drives me insane about Irish cinema is it doesn't stack up because it's a pay-to-play system and we don't have enough money. So where every other country, even Korea now, or the UK or America, they get loads of, of, of pre-production budgets so they can all sit in a room and be artists and really settle in together and really have this lovely relationship before they even start filming. And then they get days, they get five times the amount of principal photography than Ireland does because of their budgets. So when you stack up Irish films against the rest of the world, ours doesn't meet it, but it's not because we're not good enough. It's because we don't have enough time and money to make them. So my favourite Irish movie hasn't been made yet. I just, I know it's coming. Okay. Ah, I don't know if I accept that, Karen and Luke. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd, I, I want, don't know. I want like, a movie. Even if your budget is so low, mm. there's still so many good Irish films out there. They don't stack up to like what we could be well, making. We don't rank but, them against, uh, yeah. just just in the context of Irish, what's your, what's your favourite Irish film so far? But why would you do it like that? Because you're being asked to. But the world is bigger than Ireland. Ah, you're being difficult. Well, all I'm saying We're is- moving on. We're moving on. <laughs> Get them out. Kieran, we'll move on to you. Um, my favourite Irish movie, Michal, is from 2003. Intermission. Oh. Mm. Oh, I think we got a bit of approval off Rory there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, like, again, in the, in the course of Irish films, fabulous. Colin Farrell, Colin Meaney. I could go on. Favourite line? Remind, I, was, I was just a reminder of Rory. This, I always remember this line. There's, a, there's two dudes out. I can't remember what they're at. Are they filming an ad or are they filming a documentary or something? And uh, whoever they're filming is, 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 has been at it all day and they're getting tired and they're giving out to the cameraman and the cameraman says, hold on, hold on. I just got to get the mythic angle. <laughs> so he's down on his knees, he's the camera pointing up to the person and this is the mythic shot. <laughs> it's so quotable, that film. There's just, it's Colin Farland's brown sauce, you know, as they say in the States, it's it's just quote after quote after quote. Oh man, I need to watch that. I've never, I, I don't even know if I've heard of it. Oh, it's class. Have I? Maybe I have. Luke. Brilliant film. Um, a couple of honourable mentions, I suppose. Uh, Sing Street a couple of years ago, I thought was good. Yep. Um, the Commitments, obviously, that was in the Vox Pop there. Great film. Um, I think, though, in recent years, I can't say I've watched a hell of a lot of Irish cinema, but my favourite one, I think, in recent years had to have been The Guard. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was good. Got out of crack. That man. was good crack. Um, though I do think in Irish cinema and Irish TV and stuff, and... I wish we didn't always have to lean so heavily on being Irish. Like, it's something that we we seem to, to do all the time. And if you think of, like, big blockbuster movies that come from the States or come from the UK or whatever, they're, they're dealing with whatever subject matter they have. Like, I'm just going to use, like, all the Marvel stuff as an example, right? That's not, that's not like, tied up on being American. It's made in America a lot of it, but it's not tied up in being American. Its identity is in the, the the content that it's delivering. But like, we can't do anything without it being 
Irish. Even the theme songs, like we do a version of The Voice <laughs> and the theme song has to have diddly trad in it, whereas every other version of The Voice is just a standard old pop. We have to get Irish into everything. And I know we are Irish, but it, it, there's something about that that just drives me nuts. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I do, I do. And there's two films coming out this year before the end of the year and I can't wait to see them because they actively don't do that. Mm. So there's one called Wolf, uh, a producer that I know I've known her for a long time. Her name is Jessie Fisk. She produced a feature film that's coming out. I think it might already, it's either coming out this week or next week. It's going to be fabulous. So Wolf is coming out. Definitely check that one out. And there is, my brother was the first assistant director on a horror film nice. called You Were Not My Mother. And I was, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I was treated to uh, a couple of rushes, a couple of... Uh, Couple of shots for before it's. We'll have to run that one by the legal team before this podcast goes out. <laughs> yeah, okay, just, okay. Maybe just bleep out from here. But he showed me a few bits and pieces of it, and it just looks stunning. So that's earlier on when I said it hasn't come out yet. Oh, it could be. It could be coming. You were soon. just looking for a plot to plug there. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus, can we stop casting? non-Irish actors in Irish roles if they're going to do a terrible accent. Let's, let's start a poll on that. Do you know what the minute they're do, they have that um, that uh, thing you can sign, what do you call that? A petition oh, yeah. to keep James Corden out of the Wicked film. Did yeah. you see that? No. Right, well, what they've done is they've said... Don't <laughs> that let, man's getting an awful lot of hate. Don't let James anyway. Corden ruin Wicked, right? This is what they've said. I think we need to start a petition from the Irish people that say if they're not Irish... Don't have them do an Irish accent. By yeah. all means, have them in the film, yeah. but have them with their American accents, not their really bad Irish accents. Yeah, I'm starting a petition too, Rory. <laughs> We're not allowed to get Luke into any sort of Scouse film ever, <laughs> <laughs> ever. <laughs> it's not. Happening. You don't have to. You don't have to petition that. I'm not arguing with you on that. I'd be, be no point. Don't think James is either. Michal, you opened a serious can of worms with that question. Great uh, great insights from the lads and good, strong feelings about things, which is always good. Listen, one thing's for sure, no matter what film we were going to see, um, our guest today would have been selling us the tickets. Uh, we're oh, gonna, shaky. We are going to get straight into our interview um, with Mr. Tickets himself, uh, a proud son of Sligo. Here's Mr. Tommy Higgins. Tommy Higgins, you are welcome to In the Lamplight. Thank you. Um, great to have you here. And Tommy, in, in preparation for this interview, I read your book um, again. I read it at the time it came out back in 2015. And I read it again. And the thing that strikes me is you have had an amazingly busy life. And there are so there is so much we could talk about here today. And if we talked about everything, we'd be here for a couple of hours, I'm sure, at least. Um, so what I thought we might do is we might dip in and out. Surely, and, no problem. Uh, and and uh, I, might, I might bring you to, to various places that I found interesting. The first of which, Tommy, was your career as a DJ. So uh, this was this was uh, I guess early early in your in your life I I suppose and um, my one of my favorite stories from the book was uh, when you got your first gig as a DJ uh, and according to the book you approached a venue manager in Sligo Town um, despite the fact that you had never DJed a gig and you had no DJ equipment. That's that's is, true. Is that true? Uh, uh, it was Seamus Monaghan. Seamus Monaghan. Yeah, Seamus. He was the promoter, and he was running Barbarella's up in, in the park. And they they hired a DJ from Dublin, and he came on and he played all horrible music. He was playing all country music and stuff. It wasn't disco music. Yeah. But I had the record shop, and I just I went. I approached the next day, and I said, Seamus, that's horrible. I said, I can I could do that. I could do it better. <laughs> and uh, I just 
took a pile of records out of the shop and went up. I got uh, scrambled equipment and I bought equipment off some other guy that was doing it. He said, Tommy, there's no money in DJ. Yeah. I maybe there's not. I try it out anyway. So that's how it started, really. Brilliant. Yeah. And uh, so, so okay. What is your? What are the cardinal rules as a DJ in terms of in terms of uh, getting the crowd up, or what, how how would you approach your set? Well, well, two things. I, I, you know, I was when I had a, in the band before for years. You have to judge the crowd, and you have to work work the mood of a crowd, and you know you ought to get all the hits at the end and send them all home happy. That's really the the, the key of it. And I was able to do that when I had the band. You know, I could um, judge a crowd and judge how to to um, keep the keep that crowd going. Okay, yeah. and and tell us a bit about that, Tommy. So when you say judge the crowd, is it figure out their mood or what they want next? How, what's the nuts yeah, and bolts of that? Look, at it, it's not. Look, at it, everybody has their own way of doing it, and yeah. you have to get the right, and then you have to slow it down, and then you know you build it up towards towards a climax at the end and send them all home happy. Yeah. Get all the good songs at the end. Yeah, right, that's right. the way. It's, look, it's no different today if you go into a Rolling Stones concert to do all the, the, the turner for home and to do all the hits, satisfaction, yeah. get off my cloud, etc. Yeah. That's how it's done. Yeah. How you move the mood of the crowd. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, it was interesting. Just a few couple of times so far this season, um, we've spoken to Keen Egan in Westlife about his his yes. way of putting a set together. Yeah. We spoke to um, uh, Ian Dempsey uh, from right. Today FM yeah, yeah. about how he how he approaches that. So it's just interesting to get the different the different viewpoints. But I remember being being at a Springsteen gig once, and it was literally that he played all his album tracks, and he he could just play what he wanted. It seemed for the first two hours, the last hour then was just hit after hit after hit. Send them home happy. Well, I, there's a lot of time there. Some when you go to a concert, somebody's I'm going to play a tune from my latest album. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Give me the hits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Send them home sweating. Uh, very good, Tommy. So, um, the other area of your life I was fascinated by was the fact that you're a League of Ireland referee. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, How did that happen? I, I'm glutton for punishment. Yeah. Well, I was playing football uh, for a period, um, you know, junior football, I played with Marvel. And then you get to a stage that, you know, you're, I, was, I think it was 33 or something at the time. And uh, I wanted to be involved in football, but, uh, and I didn't want to get involved in going to pubs because I don't drink. So I wanted to do something. And I, it was a brilliant piece of um, my life I always felt it because it gives you an awful lot of skills it gives you you know you have to be backbone uh, you're managing people you're managing really a small company of 40 people including the, you know the, the coaches and everybody else and you have all you have is your own demeanour which and that on a whistle and you have to man- but I found it was brilliant and through life afterwards it was a huge help to me in in the business world because you were able to manage people, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, and I enjoyed it. I was at it for over 25 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And was there an element of judging the crowd the same you would have done no, as a DJ? Had, no, you know, the only, the only thing when I was up at the Brandywell, there's a great, um, it's very kind of endearing when you hear 8,000 people saying Higgins is a bollocks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of endearing. Yes, yeah. yes. But uh, you never judge the crowd, you know. If, you, yeah. if, if you're, you know, if you're sensitive or not, you shouldn't be out of take up knitting, I always say. <laughs> yeah. It's just enforce the rules. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, you were down to referee a European match at one point. And something got in the I way, a, is that right? I, I had a crisis with the ticketing business and I just had to ring them up and tell them, look, my head wouldn't be in the right place. It wouldn't be fair yeah. to the referee. It was um, FC Bruges, I think it was Stuttgart, the European game. Yeah, I was a linesman, I wasn't uh, the referee. Okay. But it, 
I just had to give it up. Yeah, right. I, I couldn't do it. I was. We had. It, it was the time that uh, just had the ticketing business up and running, and uh, I, I just wasn't the, the right thing to do. It would be unprofessional to do it anyway. Okay, so I gave it up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that game, but I continued for years afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, you, you just felt, I suppose, that if your head's not in the game, you're if you if you have something. You know, bugging you at work. Your head's not in the in the game to referee, and you and you'd pull yourself out of it no, then. Because it's you, I mean, you have to concentrate. It's very very difficult. The line is nearly more difficult than in the middle because you're watching the offside, and the, it's the blink of an eye can make the huge difference yeah. between uh, you know an offside and an onside. You know? Yeah. But it was absolutely wonderful, and I loved it. And the other thing you do, it kept you mobile. I was refereeing up to us 57, 58, you know, so it kept you mobile and kept all the muscles going. I still feel the benefit of that today. Okay. So, And were you ever allowed referee a Sligo Rovers match or was the fact oh, that you're I, from Sligo did you discount you from I did that? most of the friendlies. Okay. You know, I remember doing Spurs and, and, and the showgrounds and Chelsea. Yeah. Okay. Did all the, did the French Celtic did all those, yeah. But they would... Not not for a competition they'd game. They'd disqualify you, you as a Sligo Ah, no, no yeah. you, that was the way it was yeah. everywhere, yeah. 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 So I did most of the games up along the West Coast from... Dirty Bally Buffet. Monaghan had a team at the time. Uh, Longford. So I did, did all those games, yeah. Right, right, right. Very good. Good, good fun. A way to get known around the country anyway. No, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, won't, they won't forget you in Derry, Tommy, by the sound of things. Uh, it's great to hear us, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very good. So, Tommy, you, you mentioned the ticketing business there. Yeah. Um, how did that start for you? Because you, you weren't always in it, am I right? No, no, but yeah. I, when I had the record store, Star Records in Sligo, the promoters in the old days, there was no such thing as computer ticketing. So they would just send you on a couple of books of tickets to sell them. There weren't that many. There might have been 10 shows a year. It was in its infancy, the the entertainment, the, the serious entertainment business in the what, what, what years are we talking here? We're now in the 70s. 70s, right, yeah. And then in the 80s, it started getting a little bit more. More artists started coming. But the really tipping point of the whole lot was in 89 when the point opened up. Harry Crosby opened the point. So now you had a proper global venue in the point where you could have, I think the capacity then was 8,500 people. So promoters then were able to afford to buy more artists in because they were in competition with other European promoters. So never had a, a venue big enough. Now that they've enlarged the point now as the three arena and it holds 12 and a half or 13,000 people at present. So it's one of the great venues in the world, uh, the three arena at present. Yeah. Okay, right. So this, the point came online mm-hmm. um, and all of a sudden there's proper big eight and a half thousand gigs coming and you see a demand for tickets. The, well, I, I, what, what, how that developed there was a couple of us one night were having a conversation uh, after a concert. Jim Aiken was a promoter and a colleague of mine in Belfast, Noel Harrison, and another very close friend of mine, Morris Cassidy, was a promoter. We said we'd open some record shops in Dublin, big ones. Okay. Mad it was. Yeah, but none of us had any money. Maybe the promoter had, but... Uh, right. Uh, so we took two venues, um, two locations in Henry Street and Grafton Street, brought in HMV as a partner. They ran the business. We were just uh, we were just shareholders in the business and they did a wonderful job. And again, it taught me um, that if you get the professional people in to do a good job, you know, they have the knowledge and the wherewithal to do it. But inside the door, there's a little bit of space there up on Grafton Street. And uh, the, Jim said to us one day, look, that would be a good place to sell tickets. And we started off that business. What is what is Ticketmaster today in Ireland? Started off there with a business with a leased cash register, a box of tickets, 
and a float of 40 quid. <laughs> and we just went around. Amazing. Well, that's what happened, Rory. And we went around knocking on doors, getting inventory of other promoters. But the location was unbelievable. You were on Grafton Street with all that f- footfall coming up and down. As it got to the stage then that it, we just couldn't cope, you know, because promoters throwing in tickets out, but they were actually throwing you pound notes. But uh, computerized ticketing was in was starting to to grow everywhere around the world. And I said, look, the first person to do that in the island will will um, will dominate the market business here. So we set off, and uh, I, I I got a computerized ticketing operation up and running. Yeah. Okay, so that was that was you reckon your competitive. Yeah, that was nineteen. That was nineteen ninety two. Yeah. But that was your competitive advantage. The fact that number one, you had the location in Grafton Street, yeah. and number two, if you thought if I can get this computerized system first. Yeah. That's going to give me a big Correct. advantage. But it also, the, by having the, the people were disenfranchised outside the cities or the main cities because the promoter could not go around to every small venue, a small um, town in the country selling tickets. It would be impossible. By having the computer in, all the inventory was available. So the person up in Letterkenny had a, as good a chance of getting the front row as a person in Dublin. And it, there was a huge market out there, absolutely massive, but it was not tapped. So okay. once we got the the computerized the computer tickets into in, into all the sh- shops around the country, it really took off. And then a promoter, we could see at that stage then how many people were looking queuing to buy it. And a promoter then, oh, I can add another show or another show. Previous to that, he never knew he had to go ringing up. It could be Tuesday after five days later before he knew the strength of it. But you have to get them on that first couple of hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is pre-internet, though, Tommy. Am I right? Pre-internet. Right. Yeah. So so. People couldn't book them themselves on their own computer. They had to ring ye guys and ye, ye would put no, it through the it computer is, it, system. There were most, most of the tickets were sold in shops. But, we, okay. but then we started our own call centre, which was two, <laughs> two um, t- tape recorders. Right. About 29 each. Right. And we plugged them in. And, uh, this was mad stuff. And uh, put in the tape. We had two-hour tape at night, so they ran out after two hours. But people would ring up at night time give their, well, I want two tickets for Christy Moore or whatever and leave their number. Then there was, the next morning we go in and listen to it and process it. But there was mad stuff going on there. You had people ringing up then saying, I bought two tickets earlier, but I want two more for my sister. That's right, that's right. And all that sort of stuff. <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it started us up and start, got it going. So it was a very tough period. We lost a lot of money in the first few years trying to get it up on money. The margins were too low, etc., etc. I was going to ask you about that actually. Like you were the first on the island to do the the computerized ticketing system, yeah. mm. which surely has a, it has probably a, a good long run in time for people to get used to it. So was that like a nerve wracking period of time where you're thinking, is this really ever going to take off? Uh, no, it, we had a, we had a, a battle with the promoters because they were so used to the old way of doing it, and they were a bit suspicious, rightly so. But sure. they had to, and we had to prove to them that we could do this better than they could do it themselves. And eventually, they all came around, and then they said years later, "So why didn't we do this earlier?" You know, and I could understand that. Yeah, you, you, like anything, you have to prove yourself in a business. Whether you open, no matter if you open a sweet shop, you have to, pr- you know, you have to prove to your customers that you can do a good job. Uh, yeah. Okay. And so, Tommy, you said the first few years was a struggle. Was there a moment where it changed for you and, and you felt this is actually going to work? Uh, we could feel it. See, we put up um, huge losses in the first couple of years, massive losses. 
And uh, I don't know how we got through it, to be honest with you, but if you remortgage your house and your children and your wife and everything, that right. everything went in. It was huge risk. Yeah, yeah. But then you could see it coming down and coming down. You know, every year, you know, the losses were reducing and there was, we figured out eventually it would, uh, would, would, would take off. But there was then a the tipping point, we got an opportunity to invest in Riverdance and it was pure sweat equity. Wow. Yeah. Explain was, sweat equity there to the listeners, Tommy. Um, well, we knew if the, the river dance went ahead, we'd make money by selling the tickets. Okay. If it didn't go ahead, we weren't going to make any money. So the punt was, and at that stage, we were almost at break even. So it was a, it was a punt to say, well, if it goes ahead, we'd make some money. But we got all our money back after five days. It was a phenomenal success. And after that, then the business just absolutely took off. We got all our investment back after about five or six months that we had, all the money we had lost down through the years. It was, I, was down, I would say it's down to Riverdance. Down to Riverdance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, and just the success of that show or the impact that that show had No, just other... the success of, now we, at that stage, Karen, we were doing, you know, we were well able to sell the tickets. If you, if you weren't good enough, you couldn't sell them and, you know, so it, 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 we, we had a very good system at that, well, a reasonably good system at that stage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's funny, I, I was... I think I mentioned to this on a, on a previous show, Rory. It was like you know, your your break is going to come at some point, but the 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 hours and the days and the years of grind before that are to make you ready to take your break when it actually arrives. So that sounds like what happened here, Tommy. Yeah, but you, you, Karen, sorry to interrupt you. That yeah. you you have to have belief as well too. Yes. You have to have. It's like I always like a football. If you look at Roy Keane, yeah. the belief he had in winning the ball yeah. and all that. We had belief that this would happen and go through. And you go back to Gary Player, the golfer. You know, the more I practice, the better I get. Yeah, yeah. You know, the luckier I is not the yeah, more the I luckier, practice. Yeah. People say, "Well, you're lucky," but you know, you put you have to put in the hours. Yeah. But we had to believe, and you could see it. You know, but then more, as more shows became successful, the promoters then could add more shows themselves. So it was you were on a wave, and you had to keep going, and, and it worked for the promoters. As we were successful, the promoters felt confident that they could sell more tickets. And the industry in Ireland is, is it's, I think it's the number one in Europe per capita for people buying tickets and number two in the world per capita. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's a huge, huge concert going business here in the country. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to think we contributed to it by, I, be, I was along the, the ride all the way along on that as, as, as it progressed. Yeah. yeah. You certainly did. I mean, but what is what you're saying there is promoters, because you gave them with your business an opportunity for more tickets to be sold throughout Ireland, they were able to put on more shows because of your business. Well, I, I think that we provided the, 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 the logistics for them to have the confidence to go out and put on an extra show, knowing that we'd be able to sell it. Incredible. You know. Very good. So it, 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 you can say a chicken and an egg, which is, you know, you, absolutely, we needed the promoters to provide us with inventory to sell and we felt confident to be able to do it. And it did work out like that. And then, just later, the Ticketmaster operation arrived on the scene, Kieran, and then a couple of years later, uh, they were they came in looking to come into Dublin, and 
that was bad news for us because it would have wiped us out of it. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about that, Tommy. That was that was where I was. You were saying you were on a wave, and this river dance thing really, really brought you to. Yeah, we to had about new two levels. years, and we yeah. were very profitable and all. But you know, if Ticketmaster came in, they had the resources to wipe us out. Right. So I went out and I got an, op- an opportunity to see them in Los Angeles. I went out there and saw them. And, and was so- this in a, in an effort to preempt them wiping you out? Because you thought if, if if they just come in, <laughs> if they just come in, we're gone. So I'm going to try and go out and chat well, to them I, and see. see what- yeah, it was exactly that. I had no plan. Kieran just went out and saw them, uh, and it was a you know it was a sort of a it was let's say it was an emotional <laughs> time right. because they were looking at me and I was looking at them and I didn't know what I wanted and they didn't know what's this schmuck here doing here coming yeah. out so, yeah. but uh, I, I, you got a lucky break and something a guy threw his head around the wind uh, around the door one day sorry one, during that meeting yeah. and uh, I was introduced to him and uh, he says oh he said. You're from Ireland, yes. He says, I have an Irish passport, but I've never been to Ireland. Right. And the room all broke up and the whole atmosphere of everything changed, you know. Okay. And um, uh, then we said, they start talking about they did a deal up in Seattle that could work and the same model could work for us. Then they gave me a, a tour of the building and they showed me and I just realized at that stage how inadequate, even though we had a decent enough business in Ireland, how inadequate. And I says, I have to have this. You know, just just like being in a toy shop. I have to have this because I knew if I could get all their technology and expertise and how to do it. And they had a, you know, he showed me a, a room and he says, we run everything here from Seattle to Denver down to Mexico City. And I just, I went from Dingle to Dublin right. to Donegal. Yeah. Do me. <laughs> you know, but it's, it, was, it was the same thing on scale, Kieran. You know what I mean? The yeah. scale of it. Yeah. And then, and that's what happened. They sent over 30 people. We put in the Ticketmaster system, changed the name from Ticket Shop, which it was, to Ticketmaster, and never looked back after that. Yeah. Okay. Well, like, I'd love to know how you persuaded them. Because obviously, on, on their side, they, you, you said they, if they wanted to, they could have just come into Ireland and wiped you. Was it the fact that you have had the knowledge of the market and the experience of the market and could help them? Help them break into it was that well I think I think there's a, offer them? I think there was probably an element of that and they knew that what we had you know we were all above board on it and uh, they knew that we you know we, we had a fabulous relation with the promoters which was true yes, we yes. you know but it's it's like any business you look after your customers if you look at no matter what business you're in if you look after the customers you'll do well yeah. if you don't they'll go somewhere else yeah and we really, really looked after the promoters. You know, provided an unbelievable service for them, and appreciated. Okay. And for Ticketmaster, I'd said they bought half the company, so they were hedging, and they said they buy the other half five years out. You know, and they said we don't care how much you make after that. We said we pay you a multiple afterwards, provided you do well, pr- protect our investment. Okay. And I had an absolutely wonderful relationship with them that's still there till today. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. And. It seems like a massive game of chess just listening to you talk about the few moves that you made within that world. I mean, okay, I'm going to be the first to strike and, and get on get on the computers. That's it's a huge move. And then a couple of years down the line, you're preempting a move potentially by the, one of the biggest ticketing companies in the world. So you're going to go at them first. Does it feel like that when you're in the middle of it? or You're flying by the seas of your pants most of the time, to be honest with you, Rory. You know, uh, yes. you know, there was never a plan on do that. But you have to react to the, and it's a very fast-moving business as well. But it wasn't rocket science to figure out that that big kahuna could come into Dublin and clear you out in three months, mm. you know. And as it happened, it worked out brilliant for them as well. 
the weekend, you know, and then they asked me afterwards to run the the, the UK business. And then after that, they asked me to run the European business, you know. But there's about a relationship. You have to have a relationship. And I always say to, you know, to young entrepreneurs that we do, you do various seminars here and there, hop on a plane and go out to America. You'll find somebody, you know, you need to knock on doors and you never know what happens, you know. Okay. You have to be at the bat there, to, you know, to... to, yeah. to um, yeah. To, to to strike, yeah, and certainly that trip. To but America. it was never it was never planned or anything. It was more of a hail mary, hail mary that trip to to America. But if I didn't go, sure, you know, incredible though. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I, you don't think of it at the time, you know. But it was easy when you got in the door and spoke, and they were, they were fine. They were lovely people, and they just, you know, it's just just matter selling your story. Is that part so, of your, your, sorry, Tommy, is that part of, you mentioned earlier the belief you had to have in this in this company to get it off the ground. Is that is that part of this belief that you thought, right, I, I believe so much in this that I'm going to, I'm going to go over to these American lads and, and show them what we have to offer. Is that is, is that part of it, do you think? There's, no, there's an element of that, but there's an element of knowing that if you got, I could had my eye on the technology. And the other thing that was just happening at the time was the internet had started and I didn't have the expertise for the internet. So these guys have it, pulled it off a shelf. And there's a wonderful story when I was there at the time, they were just after selling the first ticket on the internet and they rang up a guy. They said they're going to brought in the press to ring up the guy and said, ask him, well, why did you buy a ticket on the internet rather than going to an outlet or buy it over the phone? The guy was a nerd and he said, I don't like talking to people. I'm not talking to you and put down the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole thing was a flop, you know. <laughs> Very good. And I remember and they asked me to go in uh, when I was there. That was in Los Angeles. And he said, we were in New York, drop in. He says, they're a bit more advanced there. He says, and they, you know, they're, they're up a month ahead of us here. Yeah. So I went in and talked to the guys in the office in New York. And they had sent word ahead that I was coming. And it was, it was fantastic. There was the guy, in the, the he was he was central casting out of the Sopranos. Oh, yeah. New Jersey guy. Hey, Tommy, come in out of here. <laughs> you got the internet yet? I says, no, it's wonderful, he said. It's the opposite to robbery. He said, they come in the middle of the night to steal the tickets and to leave the money. <laughs> and you know something? Afterwards, when you go back and realize, you go home, you switch off everything, you go home and you come in the next morning, people have taken the tickets and the money is in the bank. Yeah. And now, this was wonderful for the entertainment business, for the airline business, for the hotel business, how the internet changed the world. Yeah. And for our, so the timing, and I couldn't have done that without the Ticketmaster having the expertise. They came over to set the whole thing all off. And I remember the very first show that was sold. I remember the, 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 our techie guy came and told me we've sold our first ticket on the internet. And then it wasn't too long I came in and now we've sold 100 tickets on the internet. And I think Ed Sheeran went on sale there recently and 100% of the tickets were all sold on the internet. Maybe 200,000 tickets were sold okay. you know, yeah. in, in one day or so. You know. yeah. So how the internet has changed the whole world, not just alone, but it's wonderful for the ticketing business. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Tommy, you uh, as part of your work, you've been to hundreds, maybe even thousands of gigs over the years. Tough question for you now. Do you have a top three of gigs you've been to over the years? Because you've been to some amazing stuff. I've spoken to you about this off air before. Yeah. Can you think of two or three of your favourites? Okay. I'll bundle three of them into one, okay? Oh, I don't know. Is that allowed, Rory? Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> no, I saw three amazing shows in Vicar Street, which is... Bob Dylan, around 91 or something. 
Paul Simon and uh, Brian Wilson. When you see brilliant artists in a small venue, you know, yeah. it holds a thousand people. You, Kieran, you played in Vicar Street. Yeah. Wonderful one. One of the great small venues in the world. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. I would put that down as one of them. Okay. Uh, I, we, for the past maybe 10, 20 years, I'll go to Verona every second year oh, to yes. an opera. And yeah. I'm not an opera, I'm a rock and roller at heart. But to see the spectacular thing, you know, the, you have 80-piece orchestra, maybe 150 people on the stage and no amplification. Mm. And Carmen or Aida or some of those, I just to die for, hopefully going to go next year. I haven't been for a couple of years now because yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah, Absolutely adore it. Beautiful. Okay. Oh. So we're down to one. I would have to say probably Led Zeppelin in the uh, O2 Arena in London in 20... It was a one-off show they did. It was beyond brilliant. Really? Uh, yeah. And the the sad thing about it, Plant will not do the gig. He won't, he won't tour. And they've been offered a billion dollars, a billion dollars to do a tour, and he won't do it. Right. Right. And people say, well, why, how, how could you get a billion dollars? Would you get, you'd have no problem in the States getting a thousand dollars a ticket. You do it. Yeah. You, know, you could do the, I did the numbers quite easy. 40 shows would do it, you know, 40, right. 50 shows around America. Yeah. No problem getting a thousand dollars a ticket. Oh, but wow. they were out, out of this. And it is, I felt it was a shame for the fans because when they were out first in the 70s, it wasn't as good, but now you have the great sound systems and you have everything, and they're still can't cut it. They were absolutely brilliant. And was this a once-off comeback show, or, or what? No, what was the it, it wasn't. It was a once-off. The, the great Amit Ertigan, who has Atlantic Records, it was a tribute to him, and they had a whole lot of Atlantic artists. Bill Wyman was with them, Foreigner. There's a few, a few bands, and the top of the bill was it was um, um, Led Zeppelin. But it, I. I I, for raw rock, and it was just outstanding. I could, I don't know, I'd be thousands of concerts here and I've yeah, been out. Yeah. I, I love, love live music. There's nothing, I always say, what, what makes it take live music? That 30 seconds when the lights go down and you're waiting for that first note, oh, the yeah. expectation. There is nothing in the wide world to touch it. Yeah. Brilliant, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I've, I, 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 I love the fact, Tommy, that you've, you've been to so many gigs, right? I mean, people can decide how they want to spend their money on on events or on material things or, or what, whatever it might be and I, I always think god you know i'd be i'd be the first to go and spend my money and go to america or go to europe if there was this gig i really wanted to see Do you know i think that's brilliant that you've done that over the years and you've seen so many yeah i mean felt francie lenny and you know francie yes and of course. Said we used to, did a whole lot of road shows we'd head off for about two weeks doing gigs here trains planes automobiles yeah and you'd be a honky tonk in Texas one night, and you'd be in New York another. It was absolutely. We've done it a good few times. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, love yeah, to do yeah. it again. But yeah. it's a bit tricky at present in America with with the pandemic. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be comfortable doing it at present. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, those hope, those days will return. Hopefully. Um, Tommy, you are you've had a good week on the football field. You're chairman of Sligo Rovers at the moment, and uh, I read I did I read on Twitter that they won as many points in the last week as they had in the previous three months. So was we it, don't want to talk about the previous three months. <laughs> it, was, it was a nervous time, I'm sure. But ah, yeah. Look, yeah. It, it was. It was one. I've been. I've been going to the Rovers since I was my, with my father since I was six years of age, yeah. and it was when I was asked to go in there a couple of years ago. Uh, I was. I was delighted. And when I was with working with Ticketmaster, we used to handle football clubs all over Europe. You know, from Turkey up to Norway to Finland, everywhere. And if you have something to bring back to contribute 
to the you know to a community. It's a community based club. And I always look back that all the people in Sligo were very, very good to me when I started off my business in the record stores back in the 70s. And if you can give something back, I think everybody has a, an obligation to give something back mm. to your community. And uh, I, I feel that I have something to give. And there's a great bunch of people now running Sligo Rovers. Like, I'm only a small cog on a big wheel, and everybody contributes. It takes an army to run that club. Mm. Mm. and uh, But everybody does it. For the love of it, we nobody takes even expenses out of it, no salaries, nothing. We just it's all for the love of the club, and it's wonderful that yeah. we're in Europe next year. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's great it's, for the for everybody, for the players, for the manager, yeah. and for the fans. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Tommy, thanks for coming in. That was a that was a great chat. Um, okay, it flew by. Uh, before we finish, you have um, or we we're going to ask you to uh, pick a song for the In the Lamplight House band to play, Tommy. Have okay. You, have you any choice or or or? or I'll be here two hours. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I I was at I was at a fabulous festival a few years ago in California, and there was a, there were just six acts for the whole weekend. The first night was Bob Dylan and the Rolling Stones. McCartney and Neil Young and The Who and Roger Waters. Wow. In It was a unbelievable out in the desert and beautiful. There was gourmet food. There was everything in it. And a 200-foot a uh, screen, curved screen on it. And it's the first time I've been at a dozen Bob Dylan concerts that I could hear the... The lyrics. Okay. <laughs> As he, usually, he usually mumbles, but it's a brilliant sound system and I heard everything. So I'll go with Bob Dylan, Make You Feel My Love. Great stuff, Tommy. Okay. Thanks again. Nothing that I would 
That was Make You Feel My Love from the In The Lamplight house band this week. Uh, all Luke Devaney. I hope you enjoyed it, Tommy, and I hope you guys as listeners enjoyed it too. Right, what does Rory recommend for us this week? You! If your life is feeling grey Like a dull and cloudy day We can chase your blues away Rory recommend you Something to defend you From the boredom that offends you You'll also fix your hairdo It's Rory Recommends all right lads so this episode was business heavy uh business related episode being that we started off with business questions and how tommy led us through his life of business so i thought this week's rory recommend could be based around a business and a business in sligo so before on rory recommends we've had exhilarating things to do we've had things to watch on a friday evening and now I'm going to give you an old shout of what you should eat on a Sunday morning or a Monday morning, maybe. How does that sound? Brilliant. Let's I'm hungry. Let's do it. Right, lads. So I went for a business meeting with my mate, Romy, who I own Temperhound with. A business meeting? A business meeting. Just to continue the theme of the show. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, we were sitting and we were chatting, having a cup of coffee and our breakfast. But we were having it sitting outside Osta which is between Barton Smith's and the Garavogue. It's a small cafe there along the river. But we were sitting outside with a little lap blanket and a little cup of coffee and a little fry. And while I A was little fry or a big fry now? Well, it was a big one now, to yeah. be fair. <laughs> was it a full Irish or a half Irish? Uh, well, like they call it the 30k breakfast, and I was trying to figure out why they call it the 30k breakfast, and I just assumed because you'd be fit to run 30k with the energy it'd give you. Serious, I would start to the day. <laughs> so that's good. my recommendation this week, lads. If you get a chance to support a local Sligo business and you're looking for somewhere to have your breakfast, uh, go and sit outside now. It doesn't count if you do it inside. You have to get the lap blanket. The woman that makes the lovely coffee has to come out and slide one down in front of you. The pigeons have to be wrecking your head. The whole thing kind of has to work together. 
Um, so that's it. Well, I'm going to have that full one day, Rory. Oh, yeah? That spot where you ate breakfast today. That's yes. going to be crammed with people one day. Oh, yeah? yeah. Oh, why yeah. is that? Because the best spot for a piano in Sligo is just out in the river from Osta. Oh, no way. There's this little rocky yeah. outcrop as yes. you look across the river from Osta. Yeah. And it would be just the perfect fit for a grand piano. Oh my God. I've taken a photo there. Yeah. But I never thought of a grand piano there. I just thought, wouldn't that be unreal? If you got the crane onto the bridge. To put a piano in. To, to lower. How else are you going to get it's it down? It's just kind there? of where the mill and, and the, yeah, the, where yeah, stuff and just the remains of all that. It's there. out a wee bit further and you can walk out to it. There's a wee sort of pier that you can walk out to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but there's only one way of getting it down. You get a crane onto the bridge, you lower the. Imagine that would that. be a spectacle. Wouldn't that be unbelievable, That'd the sight of that? Unreal. Be a lot of people enjoying their breakfast outside also that morning. Cheers, I'd stay for breakfast, lunch and dinner if you had a piano <laughs> set up out there. That, um, that like, area there outside Osta actually has a lot of, like, really interesting history. Do, do you know any of that? Like, the, you know, obviously, like, there's the remains of the mill there, but did, did you ever hear the story about the, um, this is going back to, like, the late 1800s, there's, French troops kind of after the Battle of Cluny with the British and, and stuff. No? No. Did you ever that about that area there? No. So the there was the French troops basically along the river. Now the layout wasn't the way it is in now with bridges and stuff. Sure. So it's like the middle of the night and French troops on 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 one side and apparently there was some kind of a like a monastery or a place where priests live or whatever on the other side of the river. And um a bit of commotion in the night and one of the priests threw open the window to see what was going on outside and looked over the other side of the river and saw all the French lads trying to get away from the British. Jesus. Right. And, and the French lads said to him, because the, again, the bridges and stuff aren't where they are now. So they said, how do we get to the other side? That was a German accent, wasn't it? No, hold on, we'll try that again. We'll try it, we'll try it again. They said that, they said that, how do we get to the other side? So, what? And the priest, uh, the priest looks straight back over at them and he says, So you're on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> You, uh, you just keep on digging and digging and digging. How did the accent thing become a thing? I don't know. It's so know. good. A German one just slipped out there. How do we get to the other, other side? side? Oh no, it's the French. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh, Lads, we better wrap it up. Oh, we better wrap it up indeed. Um, but before we do, um, it's a big day, Rory. It's a big day because this is Michal's first day out of the house. Michal, you had a tough two weeks. <laughs> tough is the word for it. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? Everyone kind of is is asking me, they're like, were you like stuck on Netflix the whole time? Not even a bit. I reckon, I don't even remember the last two weeks, but I reckon I just st- like s- stared at the ceiling for like 90% of the day. <laughs> and then in the evening time, <laughs> <laughs> God, I don't remember any of it. Like, Really? Oh, seriously. It just, it passed by by blur, but like, when I was do why when I was in the room, it was so long. But now when I'm out of it, it was just it was a day that passed. Weird. Uh, that's like were you in a room like you uh, probably live with other people, do you? So you were stuck in a room on your own. Mm. Oh man, how do you do that? Like prison doesn't seem as bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to commit some crimes then. <laughs> 
And were you getting meals on wheels to the door and stuff? Oh, or? so many wheels. Me- wheels on meals? Wheels on meals? <laughs> meals on wheels, yeah. My mum, fair play to her. Like. How did she do just a knock on the door? Your dinner's outside? Yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it's... Did they make an extra wrong, effort? There's like. nothing wrong with that now, is No, it? that's grand. You yeah. could have kept that going. How do you reckon you'd cope yourself, Rory, in a situation like that? Uh, you'd isolate for two weeks. I don't want to... <laughs> I have a plan. You have a plan? Yeah. <laughs> I, have a pl- I have a plan, right? I don't... Okay, I'm going to touch something wooden here because I don't actually want to get COVID, You're right? You're after touching two uh, plastered uh, walls behind you there. Definitely not okay. wooden. <laughs> something wooden, right? That's your head. Yes, and that counts. Right, so I have a plan that... I think I have enough food in my house for 10 days. Because I think 10 days is the isolation pe- period, isn't it? Mm. So I have enough food in my house for 10 days. And I think that if I got the call to say you have to isolate now for 10 days, I think I'd take out a camera and I'd do like a kind of a vlog. But I'd try, almost challenge myself to see if I could do the 10 days without any outside help. So, you know, and something probably would go wrong. Like, I mean, you know, your power could go or whatever. I kind of take it as a little bit of a chance. It's only 10 days, like, can you survive? Passes by in no time, Apparently according to me, so. Hall, anyway. Yeah, but 10 days, like, 10 days is like an eternity when you're talking about it. It's only when you're through it that it's not so bad. That sounds like the most middle-class Bear Grylls knockoff that I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> I've got too much food in my house. Let me see if I can last 10 days. <laughs> oh, no, the Wi-Fi has gone. How will I ever survive? Isn't that... It, although that would be one of my biggest fears yeah. of my 10 days in the house because if I couldn't get, right, if I committed to it and said, right, 10 days, I'm not going to ask for any outside help unless there's an emergency and I hurt myself or something, I need to get an ambulance. But for 10 days, but if the Wi-Fi went down, half my plan is wrecked. It's gone. Yeah, because yeah. I'd be trying to make content. I'd be trying to kind of talk about mindset, all the stuff you could have done, me all but didn't do. <laughs> Stare <laughs> at the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be trying to get that out and kind of get yeah. a bit of traction behind it. But if the Wi-Fi went, Jez, what can you do? I've only so many books in the house and I've read all of them. Yeah, yeah. but you still have beans on toast, don't you? Yeah, sure look. Anyway, Michal, it's great to have you back, man. Thank thanks you, for Karen. coming in and thanks to Tommy indeed for coming in. Uh, and thanks, lads, for the chat. And we will see you all next week. Good Did you get, a, crack. Did you get a thanks this week? Huh? Thanks, Karen. No, not at all. Oh, not, not until Christmas. Oh, sorry. Just I take it back. <laughs> okay. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? He's sucking back up me, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>